my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Coming up in just a few minutes, I want to tell you a key warning for you. If you are on Medicare, have family members or friends that are on Medicare, something you got to make sure they know about. And coming up yet later, where you go get a mortgage makes a real difference on what you pay for that mortgage. I'm going to tell you where you should look for a loan. More important, where you should not look for a loan. So the supermarket wars in the United States are the most intense they have ever been. It's fantastic to be a consumer. The innovation going on right now for groceries is the best we've seen since immediately after World War II when the concept of the supermarket came alive. And supermarkets had kind of gotten stuck in their ways, but technology has shaken everything to its foundations plus competition. The competition is everywhere now. The warehouse clubs have really taken a significant chunk out of traditional supermarkets' market share. And fast-growing Aldi, which looks like in the next few years they're going to become the third largest supermarket in the United States, have had a big impact with the stores that they have open and the many hundreds more that they're opening each year. And so the competition is coming from non-traditional, the warehouse clubs, non-traditional, the no-frills, Aldi model, and then potentially someday from Amazon. And so everybody's running scared. A lot of mid-price supermarket chains are going to go extinct. Regional supermarket chains be bought out or shut down. The market is going through a serious fight for the future of your food dollar. And in the midst of all this, there's one winner, and that's you. You and me, when we go to buy groceries, the prices are going down. Kroger, which is the nation's second largest supermarket chain behind Walmart, had been looked at as being in the scary middle of the market where you don't want to be. You want to be either high-end or cheap. And Kroger was neither and had been looked at as an also-ran. But Kroger is newly aggressive. I read a story in the Cincinnati Inquirer about market after market in the United States, Kroger is growing instead of shrinking now. And how have they done it? They've cut prices. Legit cut prices. They're cutting their profit margins to be able to try to compete better in the market and a huge emphasis on click and collect, which Walmart has been so successful at, where you can order online and pick up at a set time at the store, or where you can have delivery. And so it is a big shift in the market when the second largest player has woken up from its long slumber. And Kroger uses, gosh, they must use like 15, 20 different names in the country, you know, as they bought up different operators, they still use their names on the stores. So you may not even be aware that the place you shop at 
is a Kroger store like Smith's, Fry's, King Supers, just some of the ones that are the names that Kroger uses in other places. But if you feel like somehow they have all the signs saying prices are getting lower and you think it's just marketing, we are in a time right now where prices really are getting more favorable and serving you how you want to be served is absolutely on the recipe for anybody who expects to survive in the grocery business. All good news for you and for me. Shane's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Shane. Hi, Clark. Thank you for having me. Certainly, Shane. You have had some adventures with credit that you're trying to turn around. Is that right? I have, yeah. So in my early 20s, I made some mistakes. Um, had a repossessed car, racked up a lot of credit card debt. Um, I've since recovered from all of that and brought my score back up to um, a 719, is what I was recently told. That's that's really great. Thank you. How many years did it take you to go? Because when you had that repo car and delinquent credit cards, your score probably went into the low 500s? It was, yeah. It took um, about nine years. Wow. So those things are gone from your credit, I'm guessing. They are. They are, yes. And now you have successfully built a new credit reputation. Yeah. So I feel like I'm entering a whole new world and I've hit this new crossroads in my life where I'm trying to figure out the best the best moves for myself and my family. We want to look into buying a house shortly. Um, the credit cards that I do have on currently are not good credit cards in any compa- in any way. They are very high interest rates with no perks, and I'm hesitant to ever use them. Um, so are these cards that come with annual fees? or they No annual fees. Okay. So there is that. Um, All right. And what kind of credit limits do you have on these? You must have, you're not using them, so you must have decent headroom on them. Um, Two of them are just under 2000 and one is a secured card that is, uh, I believe, 250 All right. So the secured card I'm going to want you to get rid of. I'm surprised okay. it's still a secured card with how you've rebuilt your credit. But how soon is it you'd like to buy a house? I'd like to buy one at the beginning of next year. Great. Then I got, I got some moves I want you to make right now. Okay. I'd like you to apply, you you should certainly qualify now for a regular credit card with regular terms, maybe even earning cash back or whatever. And I'd like you to get a good card. Okay. And I don't want you to apply for a lot of cards because you don't want to take on a lot of inquiries when you're looking at buying a house, you know, like half a year or so away. Yes. Yeah. But I'd like you to get one more card, and you're standing now, you should be able to get one with a much more substantial credit limit than the 2000 each and the 250 Okay. Should that be through my credit union, or should I look elsewhere? You could absolutely do a card through your credit union. Uh, okay. Credit unions offer straight, legit deals on cards. If you want a cash-back card that pays hefty cash-back, I really like the city double cash card. Okay. That pays you effectively 2% cash back on your transactions. 
and it has no okay. fee. Okay. But you I'll, know, I'll because of, because of your history, you could certainly start with the credit union. And I'm thinking through. So we're talking more than seven months away before you'd really get into the home buying process. Yes. If you were to get a card from your credit union and get the city double cash, dump the secured card, you'd be exactly where I'd want you to be. Four cards, none with annual fees, and you'd have the history of the two cards you've had for a while, plus you'd have two really good cards to carry you forward. Now, does it matter that the secured card is my longest length of credit at this point? No, that's already established. Okay. So you won't you don't lose those years if you were to close that account. Okay. And this is really good stuff. Do, have you set up a credit Sesame or Credit Karma? I have. Yes. All right. Credit Karma is really what's gotten me through. Great, and they walk you through each step you can do, and they also have the thing. I don't know if you've seen it, where they'll tell you without an inquiry on your credit what cards you are likely to be approved for. Okay. And so that'll give you a sense whether you are in a position to grab a really good mainstream card now. Okay, great. And, you know, the coolest thing you said to me, do you have any idea what really impressed me? What? You completely owned what went wrong when you were in your early 20s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't make a single excuse. No, no. And so that's the key to getting healthy with something like money and credit is when you just totally own what happened and you move on from it so successfully as you've done. Mike is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Mike. Hi, uh, Dr. Call you Dr. <laughs> Just call me Clark. How's that? <laughs> well, you know, it's because you're doing a lot of good things for the society, so you got to have a little uh, distinct, uh, you know, honor. <laughs> you are kind, but but you know, I'm just happy if you call me cheap guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've been listening to talk show since the days. Uh, uh, Bruce Willis, remember that days? Bruce Willis. Bruce Williams. Williams, I think. Yeah, yeah. Bruce Williams. In the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's why, you know, when I... Uh, yeah, he was a lawyer, who did, a lawyer who did, a lawyer who did, like, a consumer advice and legal advice show. Yeah, yeah, that way, yeah. So, anyway, uh, um, uh, I, uh, you, did you hear about the fire back uh, last uh, winter, you know, here in Northern California, you know? Oh, yes. The, the big fire, and, the, like, uh, on the news, it says, like, uh, something like uh, one-third of the population didn't have... Uh, they were underinsured, you know. They didn't have any replacement coverage, you know. Right. I was in both northern and southern California during the fires, and yeah, yeah. it was so, it just tore my heart to see how much destruction there was, how much dislocation there was for people in their lives, and how much money was lost by people who did not have proper insurance coverage. Exactly. Yeah. So I called my insurance company to do that, to do the replacement coverage, and they really didn't. They let. They just tell me uh, I do it myself. You know, I just calculate and everything, and then they didn't know how much. So uh, I, I really didn't know because it, it, you know, it takes a little professional work to really f- figure out how to do replacement because it's not just uh, the cost. There's a code. There's this and that and the other. You know. Yeah. So the way you would do it is: Are there any new construction homes 
in your neighborhood or even a few streets away from you. Uh-huh. If there are any new construction homes and you know what the prices of those are being sold for. Uh, you, yeah, I can see it, find out. Yeah, but yeah you're able for, yeah. to start to back into what building from the ground up is costing per square foot. And that will give you some amount of sense of what it would cost based on how many square feet you have minus the cost of the land with what you've gotten, what the, what somebody's selling a piece, you know, a house for. You can kind of back in to what real replacement cost would be because uh-huh. new construction is so much more expensive per square foot than what a used home sells for per square foot. So it's not based on what you paid for a home, even. It's based on what it would cost to rebuild your home. Yeah. Like, if what if I check with the contractor, the cost? Like, you know, one of those, there's a lot of construction contractors, you know. You sure could. You could say, uh, what do you, and this is how I'd ask, because a lot of times if you have some destruction to your home, it's going to be partial, not complete. And ask them, what does it typically cost per square foot for an addition to a home? Because uh, okay. if you take a partial loss of a home, the the math per square foot is higher for an addition than building one from the ground up. And you could also ask a builder, what does it cost these days in our area to build per square foot from scratch? And that would give you a way of backing in. Do you know how many square feet your house is? Yeah, 2,400. Great. So you just take 2,400 times what that cost is per square foot, and that will give you the number that you tell your insurer. A lot of people are afraid to pay uh, what the premiums will be, but you should be more afraid what the loss is if your home suffers substantial damage or complete damage and you're underinsured. So it's really smart of you to do this. Today's Clark Rageous Moment is a special warning for you if you are a Medicare recipient have a family member or friend who is on Medicare. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Regis moment. There was a massive ripoff of individuals and the federal government in a Medicare scam recently, and the criminals made off with over a billion dollars. A lot of it, again, out of your and my pockets as taxpayers, others, individuals losing money. Here's what happens, and make sure anybody in your family who is a Medicare recipient knows about this scam. You will get a call from someone who says, uh, there is a free medical device available for you, and They say, uh, you know, do you have problems with this, that, or the other? Well, we can get you equipment for that or whatever it is you need for free. And we'll just bill it to Medicare. And so the Medicare recipient on the phone is like, wow, that sounds great. I'm going to have this thing I'd like to have. And then they connect you with a doctor who is part of the, the fraud. The doctor immediately says, yep, I'm going to write up this for you and you're going to get it for free. Well, a lot of times you don't get it for free, but you've already, you're already on the hook for it. Or if you do get it for free, it means that Medicare 
is being falsely billed for something that you may not even have a condition for or need. This is a terrible, terrible abuse of trust of both the individual Medicare recipient and of all of us as taxpayers. Make sure that if you are a Medicare recipient or if you have a family member or friend who is, make sure that they know that if a call comes in from somebody peddling medical equipment, that what they should do is say, thank you very much, not interested, and hang up the phone. I'm glad you're here with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website. You looking for deals? Check out ClarkDeals.com, where we have bargains for you around the clock. So, you know what's a no deal? We're going to play our own version of deal, no deal. Going to a bank to get a mortgage. Do you know it wasn't that long ago that banks completely dominated the mortgage market in the United States? Uh, Gosh, you go back um, maybe 10 years, banks controlled maybe three quarters of mortgage lending in the country. Now, it's well below 40% and falling on its way to just about zero. The reason is, banks are so unbelievably inefficient as operations. And so the mortgage market is being taken over by what are referred to in the banking circles as non-banks, and they say it derisively, and that's people like Quicken Loans and others that you see heavily promote that they do mortgages. A lot of lenders that write through mortgage brokers and then credit unions that were meaningless in the mortgage market as recently as 10 years ago have become very, very important and central to the mortgage market. So credit unions or co-ops, they are not designed to make money. They are only designed to serve their members and break even on what they do. And that gives them an inherent, significant, built-in advantage in the mortgage market. And the quote-unquote non-banks, like the biggest of all Quicken of those, they are run so much more efficiently than banks and the processes they use are so much more efficient that they can make a nice profit charging less on a mortgage than a lumbering, giant, bureaucratic bank. So now the banks are finding themselves in yet another segment of finance becoming steadily irrelevant. You may not know this, but banks today have fallen so far behind people like Charles Schwab, Fidelity Investments, Vanguard, that banks now represent uh, the deposits they have under 10% of money on hand in the United States. As people become more aware about what a ripoff it is doing business with the big banks, they're steadily migrating their money and their business elsewhere. And mortgage lending is just one more marketplace where you do your wallet potentially significant harm if you go to a bank to get a mortgage. 
Rich is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Rich. Hi, Clark. Hey, a big thank you to you and your team for everything that you guys do. Really appreciate it out here. Well, thank you. You have a um, puzzle of a question to ask me, and there's not going to be a perfect answer to it. So hit me with it. I, okay, so we are booking a cruise um, along with our three grandkids for January 2020. Um, it's a bit of a pricey one, as you can imagine, but that's all right for the grandkids, so anything goes. Um, and the travel agent is offering travel insurance um, along with the booking, but we are using our Costco Visa card to book it because of the rebate um, is pretty yeah, good. 3%, noticed, 3% back right, on that booking. On the travel, correct. And so that part is good, and then I also noticed that it has travel insurance attached with it so um i thought maybe i'd call the expert and see what your thoughts were on using the insurance that comes with the costco card as opposed to what might be offered with the travel agent all right so since the new costco visa came out when they replaced american express with the costco visa i have never bought trip insurance again because I just pay for something like a cruise that has all the non-refundability to it with the Costco Visa, and then I get the double benefit of 3% rebate on the cost of the trip, and I get the trip cancellation and trip accident coverage included with it. And so it's it's not an unlimited thing. I don't know how expensive a cruise you're booking, but you're limited... And you might need to help me, but by memory, I remember that you're limited to $3,000 per person in reimbursement. Okay. that may You know what? I didn't look that far. That may be the case, but that should about do it anyway. So that might be good. So it is is really a, a fantastic offering, and there are very few cards that offer the travel protection. And so they offer uh, the the trip cancellation interruption, and then they offer, I don't know how the travel accident insurance works, and then they offer worldwide, they offer the car rental coverage. So it really is great because so many of those pseudo-insurance products that you may feel you need to buy, you can avoid with the Costco Visa card. However, as with any trip coverage, there always seem to be cases where they deny payment or reimbursement, but I have not yet had a complaint from anyone who made a claim with a trip cancel or interruption or an illness in the family or anything like that, I've not yet had a complaint from somebody having a hard time claiming on the Costco Visa card. Okay, then it sounds like it's definitely worth it because it was several hundred dollars. It's probably um, usually 6% of the cost of the cruise. Right, so so in this case, uh, well, I'm glad I checked in with you. It looks like I made the right decision. Well, I hope that the cruise is great. Oh, it's going to be. You know, for the grandkids, they, they're they going to love it. And if they love it, we're going to love it. So 
do appreciate you again and your team and everything you do. Thank you. Well, thank you. And uh, what a fun thing to get to spend the time with the grandkids. And then the best thing with grandkids, you can then hand them back. Will is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Will. Hello, Clark Howard. Great to be on the air. Well, great to have you here. How can I be of service, Will? <clears throat> well, Clark, I am from a really small town in the Boot Hill of Missouri, and I have got an issue that seems like kind of a big city issue, and your name was the first one that came to mind. Uh, I'm really calling, uh, I guess I'm calling for my son. My son is about to graduate from college in Nashville, Tennessee, and he has got a degree in theater. And so he wants to stay in Nashville, and he wants to take what theater jobs he can get, which are sporadic and part-time, temporary type of jobs. But he wants that to be his number one priority. And, of course, as his father, I want him to have a good, steady job and make some money and pay his own bills. And I just was looking for a list of ideas, places where he might uh, seek employment where the hours would be flexible or it'd be nighttime or, you know, sure. any good job, you've got to be a company man and you tell the company, I'm here when you need me. So, so he would like to have a decent job, but he wants to be there, except if he gets a theater gig, he wants to be able to work those. Right. And so uh, people who are into the arts are doing it out of love, knowing that the jobs are unstable and you're constantly unemployed looking for your next opportunity you bet and so he he loves this and i would give him time to see if he can handle the economic instability of the field because not for everybody is it no but i but i love for people to pursue what they love Mm mm-hmm and so he went to school for it. It didn't change his mind. It's still what he wants to do. So a lot of people who who work in theater work also as Uber or Lyft drivers. Okay. Because you choose when you're going to when you're going to work and when you're not. A lot of people work as uh, restaurant servers. Okay. And a lot of restaurants are used to people who need to flex on schedules. I mean, there's a okay. lot of ways that your son's going to be able to earn money to be able just to live and work flexible schedules, but they're not going to be career kind of jobs because his career is being around the theater. It's what what makes him feel joy and happy and fulfilled. That sure sounds good. I hope it works out. <laughs> yeah, you sound so skeptical. <clears throat> no, I'm not skeptical. He's a great kid and... Uh... You know, uh, I'm at the age now when I think uh, it's important when you look back that you did the things you wanted to do. If you, you know, you followed through on your ideas or your dreams. And so I'm all for it. And who knows, you know, at some point he could be a stage manager at a theater. He could, uh, you know, he could be an artistic director at a theater. There are those jobs that have uh, some permanence to them and have potentially decent pay well mm-hmm. you know, theater is not really decent pay but but enough to put food on the table and he gets to fulfill his heart and his soul and and how do you put a dollars and cents value on that uh, you don't that that's a quality of life issue and so 
I, I know people my age who uh, have regret, you know, oh, I wish I'd have tried such and such. I wish I'd have gone to law school or, I don't know, done, you know, whatever it is they thought they should have done but didn't have enough nerve or didn't didn't make the effort. Well, it's funny you said law school because that's the one thing so often people ask me why I never became a lawyer. And it's because for me, law school and practicing as a lawyer would have been a nightmare. You got to do what you love. Carl's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Carl. Hi, Clark. Thanks so much for taking my call. Certainly. I first listened to you when I was a kid uh, during the 93, quote unquote, blizzard in Atlanta, and you were doing some of the weather coverage. And then I started uh, listening to your daily show there as a kid in Atlanta. But now I live in the San Francisco area. And do you love San Francisco? It's very expensive. Uh, the sacrifices to live out here are great. But yeah, I enjoy it for the most part. I actually run a small theater company, so I enjoyed the conversation about that. So I'm out here primarily because of that passion. And did you support my answer? Totally, totally. Okay. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, thanks for taking my question. Sure. So I have, uh, I moved out very early, never got good lessons on financial management and money management. And so I had pretty poor credit and listening to you over the, over the years, I um, got credit karma and I let their offers kind of guide me to a couple of credit cards because I know the power of two. And what I've actually seen happen is my credit decrease. It fluctuates uh, drastically, but I think the, the general trajectory is downward. And so I was calling to kind of calibrate. Your score is you, going down, I'm, not up? Not, yes. And that's not drastic. So I was in the low 600s and now I'm in the, the mid 500s. Ooh. And my, my general thoughts are maybe I'm using the cards too much. I, because I had poor credit, uh, I got pretty low limits. And even just using it once or twice a month, kind of, you know, if I uh, have one has a $300 limit, one has a $500 limit. And so using it for a tank of gas or two tanks of gas, I kind of cut into that. 30% that you talk about, you know, uh, making sure to stay below. And so I was just calling to calibrate. Should I stop using them now that I have used them for a few months and kind of put them on the back burner? Actually, uh, actually, one, what I want you to do is I want you to use them, but I want you to manipulate when you pay the bill. Okay. And you can track online when the, uh, the closing date is for a billing cycle, and you pay the bill in full before that date. And then your utilization will go to pretty much zero. It'll show activity, but it'll show that you're using nearly none of your available credit, which the percent of your available credit you're using is 30% of what makes up your credit score. Okay. So if you don't not not use them, use them, but uh, let's say the closing date on a statement is the 10th of the month. I want you on the 5th of the month, see what the balance is and pay it online right away so that when they issue the bill and what they report to the credit bureau is no balance or almost no balance. And then that uh, may have the effect of raising your score as much as 150 points. Wow. Okay, great. So try uh, that. One tiny, go ahead. One tiny follow-up question. Yeah. Um, they continue to push offers to me. Am I in a sweet spot now, or should I continue to look at, at another offer? On Don't the do any app? offers with your score where they are. When okay. your scores get, uh, let's say, above 680, that's when you can look at another offer. Perfect. But okay. I'm with the score 
um, tools they have on Credit Karma, you'll see how much difference you're going to make immediately. I mean, within 60 days, you'll see a significant movement in your score if you do start paying your bill before it actually, not when it's due, but before it even closes the billing period, bam, you're going to see that score go way up. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time for Clark.com slash ask. It's where you post a question for me and sometimes producer Joel will ask your question for you. All right, Clark, today I'm going to ask the question from someone also named Joel who said, what are your thoughts on Chime Bank? They seem to be a new competitor in the online banking space and I was wondering what your thoughts are. So Chime is an interesting player because it's designed for you to have a completely fee-free checking account and they do that. It's another of the online banks. And they also have it set up for you to build up savings by rounding up purchases. But then there's one flaw with Chime that troubles me. They pay basically, almost effectively, no interest at all on the money in the savings. So it is a method of getting you in the habit of saving money. And the checking account saves you money by being completely free. But with other online banks that offer free checking accounts, offering savings accounts that pay uh, up to 2.5% interest, I find the lack of interest to be unusual. All right, and Scott wrote in, he says, I heard, I've heard you say that you don't have any complaints or concerns when using the Robinhood app. My issue with Robinhood is that it doesn't offer joint accounts or the ability to designate a beneficiary. What do you think of that? Yeah, so having no beneficiary designation is very unusual in the financial industry, but Robinhood is free and they're trying to cut every cost and administering beneficiary designations of accounts is an expensive process. So what you have to do with them is you have to account in a will for where you want your assets to go, and that would be how you cover the fact that they don't allow beneficiary designations. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.